Uh, this is Skip Lockwood, and you're listening to Mets Musing. I was a pitcher, a relief pitcher, a closer with the New York Mets. I have a new book out called Inside Pitch, Mets Musing. Thank you very much. This, this is, is Len and Jeff from Baseball and, and Barbecue. And the one place to go for New York Mets news. Past week game reviews. Upcoming series previews. Interviews. Analysis. Opinion. And, and what's, what's going, going down, down on, on the farm. farm. It's, it's Mets Musings with Gary Mack. So keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets. Mets Musings with Gary Mack. Now it's time for some New York Mets baseball talk. Here's Gary Mack bringing you the latest news and analysis from Mets Nation and the world of baseball on another edition of Mets Musings. And hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Mets Musings, episode number 333, and we've got a blast from the past with me tonight, and we're going to bring my guest right in because he's no stranger to these airways. You've heard him tons of times before, and that is my former co-host and good buddy, Barry. Barry, welcome back to Mets Musings. Thanks, Gary. It, it's nice to be back. It's been a while. Yes, it has, but uh, good to have you back. And uh, Barry, as you know, this has been a—you've been a long-time suffering Met fan, and uh, this year's got to rank up there as one of the toughest. It's right there with one of the worst seasons to watch Mets baseball since I can remember, and if I remember correctly. The last time I co-hosted a show with you, the Mets were a good team because I believe that was just before the wild card game in 2016. And it's been pretty much all downhill since then. Yeah, it has been. It's, it's just been a really tough, uh, uh, a tough season, as I said. And we're going to take a look at the season, the first half, even though they're past the first half. But uh, and 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 look at some things. But uh, you know, we we thought it was going to change. They got the new manager, uh, brought in uh, a new team uh, of uh, trainers and and doctors, and we thought that would really make a difference. And boy, it's the same old results. It sure is, Gary. Twelve games into the season, it looked so great, and then for it to fall apart. So quickly, it's remarkable. Uh, it really is the way it did just fall apart. Uh, as you said, we started eleven and one, and then the bottom fell out. And I don't know who the heck you blame for this one, but uh, I've noticed there's been some scorecards that have come out the last few days on on the job that the. Uh, the Mets have done, and uh, the uh, brain trust, if you will, and um, as you know, it, it, it hasn't been good. It's everybody and anybody, really. You start with uh, the front office moves, which at the time they made them, most people, myself included, were saying that Sandy let the market come to him, and he picked up Todd Frazier, he re-signed Jay Bruce, and it was kind of hard to criticize those moves They've been solid major league players for a right. long time, and Jay Bruce seemed to figure New York out last year. He had a great season, and now he comes back this year, and he's terrible. And what can you say about Todd Frazier? He's been in the major leagues since 2011, never spent a day on the disabled list, comes to the Mets. He's been on it twice already. Yeah, it's it's nuts. It's just crazy, and and you wonder if it's the conditioning, is it uh, um, the training, whatever they're doing. They're not stretching. I don't know. I, I, I I'm at a loss to what to say. You know, um, I mean, you have to almost wonder. Callaway had this shorter days in spring training. And said, "Well, they're getting their work done, and it's going to be a quicker, it's going to be, you know, uh, faster-paced spring training." I, I'm wondering if it's that, that was a big mistake right now. 
right now every Mets move can be questioned. And they were supposed to have fixed all the training and the conditioning. They brought in Jim Cavallini, who was a, a trainer in the Army, and they have a new head trainer. And I would bet if you ask the average Mets fan and you say the name Brian Chicklo, they may not even know who that is, but he's the guy that replaced Ray Ramirez as head trainer. And I guess we can't blame Ray, for, Ray Ramirez all that much now because they having gotten just as many injuries this year as last, if not more. And uh, somewhere Ray Ramirez is laughing along with Terry Collins. They're having a good old time because they're not in the mix with this and really uh, got a lot of the uh, the blame last year for it. So uh, they're smiling ear to ear right now, I bet you, somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure Ray Ramirez is having a little bit of a chuckle. <laughs> As far as Terry, I guess he's still in the organization. And I think it was uh, pretty evident that his time had come as Mets manager and they, they needed to make a change. But this does not appear to be the guy that looks like he'll, he'll be leading the Mets to the promised land right. anytime soon. His decisions as Mets manager seemingly just about every single game, are highly questionable. I have never heard Gary, Keith, and Ron on a game-to-game basis question any manager's decisions like they criticize Callaway's. But to be fair, with all the injuries, it, it would be hard for any manager to to win with the team as it's currently constructed now. It, it's just It's just a mess. It is, it is, and uh, as you say, it's just not constructed properly, this team, and uh, that's got to fall on Sandy Alderson. I know he's gone now, and everybody says, well, well, now he's gone. Well, but he constructed it over the winter, and, and look, I think a lot of people, as you said earlier, we thought it was a good uh, signing, uh, Jay Bruce, and... Uh, um, you know, uh, Swarzak, and it all seemed to be very good. Jason Vargas, there were some questions about, but everything else. Well, that would be. Yeah, everybody. The uh, second half last year. Yeah. Um, well, maybe you have a good second half this year, but um, it just it started out good. It looked pretty good. And then, uh, as you say, we overlooked the Callaway decisions early on. But um, let, let's take a look at Mickey Callaway. And if you were giving him a grade, uh, where, where do you think he would fall in? I'd give him no better than a D. Not an F because with the injuries, you really can't blame him for the injuries. Right. But what I do see, which I didn't see, and you've said it many times, that when Collins was the manager, the guys played hard for him. And we don't see any of that. When you look at the Mets dugout when they're trailing in a game, they're just like sitting there staring at the field, just waiting for the game to be over. They don't expect to rally. And if you remember those first 12 games, so often they would give up a run and then they would come back in the next inning and they would get the run back. And all of that, all of that stopped. Obviously the injuries play a key part is especially the one to Cespedes who hopefully will be coming back now. Yes. Uh, <laughs> in a different position perhaps, but we can discuss that. That's possible. <laughs> <laughs> and what about the, the, the rest of the coaching staff? I mean, Dave Island came with this uh, pitching guru now. Uh, I'll I'll admit that the uh, starting pitching has improved dramatically the last uh, few months, and uh, you know Wheeler's finding his niche, and uh, uh, Matt's looks a lot better and a lot more uh, sure of himself. Um, but the bullpen is a mess. It's really been horrible and. Uh, some of that is, uh, of course, uh, again, Sandy Alderson's fault for the guys that he brought in. But, you know, they, they, they talked a lot, Island and, and uh, Callaway, about 
the bullpen and how they were going to run it and how they were going to do things differently, and yet they still seemed to uh, do the same things that Terry Collins did. Uh, example in point, Paul Seawall was terrific in April, and then they just burnt him out in May, and he hasn't been the same pitcher since then. Um, I, I don't really see that uh, difference, and, and uh, I, I don't know. What's your opinion on that? Well, I'll start with Seawall since you brought him up, and it sure looked like in April that he was like the forgotten man, but when they did use him, he was terrific. Mm-hmm. And so he earned their trust, and then they burned him out in May. And then on the other side, Gazelman was used seemingly every single game in April, but he got burned out. And then his May and then subsequent months, he, he's, been, he's been terrible. And we criticized Terry ad nauseum for the way he managed or mismanaged the bullpen. You know, e- even when the Mets won the pennant, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it seemed like we, that there were questions about how he managed or mismanaged the bullpen. And this is nothing new, Gary. If you remember the first year of Mets musing, I'm sure this name will put a smile on your face, but remember Fernando Nieve? <laughs> yeah. It seems like every single day. <laughs> he may, that goes back to the Jerry Manuel yeah, management. Yeah. And if you remember back then, we were thinking that Pedro Feliciano might, might break Cal Ripken's consecutive <laughs> game streak record. So this, this is nothing new. But like you said, this was supposed to change with these two gurus, and if anything, it's gotten worse. Yeah, without a doubt, the the, the uh, bullpen has just been a complete disaster, and and uh, it it just I and I'm shocked because that should have been the strong point of Callaway. Uh, he he was the pitching coach. He should know how a bullpen can be used and not used, and yet he he looks like a neophyte using the bullpen as well. Yeah, I agree, Gary. And also, you mentioned the coaches, and I didn't think much of it at the time. You know, when your team starts out eleven and one, you think everything that every decision that they made is, is the right one. But when you look at it now, two things that come to mind: number one is an American League bench coach. At least have a, a it's a different game. I will probably delve into the DH issue, which is come up over the past couple of days later, but it would have been more prudent for the Mets to have a National League bench coach where the game, at least it's supposed to be played a little differently with the pitcher batting, but the bench coach, Gary DeSarcina, was the Red Sox bench coach. Boy, they sure miss him in Boston this year. <laughs> yeah, don't what are they, like 500 games over 500 now? Yeah, they really miss that guy. <laughs> And the other thing, and, and again, I didn't think much of it at the time, but the two coaches that were retained, the third base coach, Sherlock, who we have had issues with almost from the start, having so many runners thrown out at home plate. I yeah. can't count the number of times Wilma Flores has been thrown out at home plate by about 20 feet. And the other one they retained, Pat Rosler, the Mets for a while, and maybe even still, are on a pace to have some uh, negative record-setting statistics for uh, offense, especially in their home park, yet he's still the batting coach. Yeah, Again, to throw it all on, on a coach may not be fair, but, you know, there's, there's got to be some accountability in this organization when your team is playing like this, and there doesn't seem to be any. And you brought up a good point about the American League. I mean, the whole staff was American League. At least if you had somebody that had, and, and you know, they've been in the American League. I don't think any of them ever coached in the National League. So uh, you've never had any National League is in. And, and I know Manfred and, and uh, Seeley wants to make it one big happy family league and not have any differences, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, you know what? There is a difference, and it is a different game. 
and you need to have somebody. And I think Sandy really blew it there. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Some input would have been nice. Say, hey, maybe we should have a a, a coach on on the bench that that knows the National League, follows the National League, doesn't have to learn 90% of the players in a new league. But it didn't happen, and the Mets are paying the price for it. And so let's take a look at the infield now. Uh, defense has been a problem. Um, as you say, they get signed Todd Frazier. Now, never been on a DL. He's on twice this year. Uh, he played a good. He was playing a good, solid third um, before he went down. Uh, it's just uh, Rosario. It's short. He's starting to show what they uh, what they thought he was going to show. And my question is, why? You know, a guy like that should have been ready to to, to just step in and not know the strike zone and learn the strike zone at the major league level. That should have been taken care of already. Well, that goes back to the play development issue. Guys on other teams, players that probably don't have any more talent than Rosario, come up to the big leagues and they know the fundamentals. But a guy like Rosario, and you, you can see... The, the talent, he really can. Yeah. And hopefully he will be a, a solid major league player, hopefully even with the Mets. <laughs> but like you said, he he doesn't have the fundamentals down. He, he was a poor bunter. I know they sat him down for a few games, to, I guess, to, to watch the game and work with him. And it paid off because there was that one game where he laid down a great bunt. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the game where Batista hit the walk-off home run. So you you see signs that Rosario may just be the player that he is projected to be. But you take him off, how many other players do the Mets have when you compare position players that are really athletic to teams like the Phillies and the Braves, which seem to have them at every position pretty much. And when they're on the field with the Mets and playing the Mets, it looks pretty embarrassing mm. when you compare the Mets to those other teams. And the Mets were supposed to be the Nationals' chief rival for the division this year. But now both of them, the Mets from a further distance, the Nationals, but the Nationals, too, are looking up at the Phillies and Braves, who yeah. right now are battling for first place in the NL East. Right. And and uh, the funny part is uh, the Nationals don't look that terrific either. I mean, they... they you know they 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 look like a 500 team, and the Mets have played them pretty well all year. In fact, I, that might be the only team they've uh, uh, have a winning record against in the division. I think uh, maybe the Phillies too, but um, it's close. And and they're either at 500 or have a winning record because uh, remember they swept them early in the year. The uh, Mets did the Nationals. <laughs> And now they split with them here, and they did get swept at one point in Washington, I think it was. So, uh, but it's fairly close. But they've played them well, and yet both teams have struggled this year. And this is obviously it's it's a sign of things to come in the NL East. And Gary, the Mets have not won a series, I believe, since the third week of May. Almost by luck, you think they would have had to have won one. <laughs> And that's just insane. And even Callaway alluded to that and made himself sound pretty foolish by by, by saying that. But he's right. Uh, He certainly is. At the major league level, the talent level should not be that great. You would think they would have won a couple of series in in these past two months. It's remarkable. It's just running into a bad team. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, let's take a quick break here, and uh, Barry and I will be back right after this. Looking for great Cardinals talk? Then check out Conversations with C70. My name is Daniel Shoftaw, and I talk with some of the great bloggers on the Internet today about their teams. It always goes back to the Cardinals. Find the latest episode on my website, www.cardinal70.com or at baseballpodcast.net. 
Did you know that Baseball PhD can be heard on BaseballTalkRadio.com? Our shows rotate with other top baseball podcasts. Now don't forget, that's BaseballTalkRadio.com. With us, we'll help you get a PhD in life through baseball. With BaseballTalkRadio.com, you'll hear the rest of the excellent universe of baseball podcasts. 516-619-6341. That is the comment voicemail hotline if you'd like to be a part of the show and drop us a line leave us a comment or a voicemail question anything at all call that number 516-619-6341 or go to metsmusings.com and click on that widget in the middle of the screen and that's a speak pipe and you can leave a voicemail right through your computer through your computer's microphone or if you prefer to do things the old-fashioned way, send us an email at metsmusings at gmail.com. The Facebook page is facebook.com slash groups slash metsmusings. And the Twitter handle is at metsmusings1. With all the Mets news, it is the news from around the world and around the corner. Here's Gary Mack. And we're back, and uh, I'm joined this evening by my former co-host and good buddy. Barry is uh, on the other end. Barry, um, so we've been talking about the, the first half of the Mets season overall, and let's take a look at the outfield. Um, some bad, some good, some ugly. <laughs> the whole the whole uh, ball of wax out there. Uh, Brandon Nimmo has established himself if you will or um has shown that he can play every day and is a was a worthy number one draft pick well he's the good gary he's Mm -hmm. done a wonderful job in the leadoff spot getting on base if there's any energy in that mets offense it's brandon nimmo that supplied it my only worry about him is that this is his first time as an everyday player He's starting to slump a little bit. His average is down to the 250s. So I worry a little that maybe the second time around, the pitchers will get to know him. Hopefully he can adjust. But he's still definitely a positive, one of the few offensive players that have actually performed really uh, above what their projections were for the Mets so far this year. Right, and of course, uh, Jay Bruce, the big free agent signing over the winter. Um, boy, he can't get he can't even stay on the field now. Yeah, that's a that's a tough injury he has, and I don't know what the remedy is for that. Just just rest. I mean, Gary, do you really expect Jay Bruce to be back again this season? Boy, I don't know. It's it's <laughs> like you said. That's a tough injury, and uh, I, I I really don't expect to see him. Um, but you know, you don't know, so uh, it, it it just complicates matters because it, it really. What do you start to do for next season? Yeah, that's right. Because that signing actually kind of blocks other players potentially. Because if he is healthy. You still have to play him, right? I mean, he does have 30 home run potential. He hit 30 home runs for the Mets last year. Mm-hmm. So he is a worthy everyday player, if if healthy. But him being in the lineup blocks other players unless it's a, either him at first base or, or Cespedes there. And then what do you do with, uh, with Peter Alonso, who is worthy of a call-up eventually, if nothing more than the fact that he was a guest on Mets Musings a while back. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And what do you do with Dom Smith? I mean, do you, you do you put him in the outfield or what? You know, uh, maybe he could be a left-handed catcher to put the people would come to see that. I guess. Um, I I don't know. It's uh, and that would be you know maybe they can um, platoon Cespedes and Bruce at first base would be the most expensive platoon in the history of baseball, probably. But, yes, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe that's we'll something. We'll see which one gets hurt first, and then the other guy <laughs> yeah. will, will pick up the playing time. 
And they pick- so what do you think of the possible Cespedes move to first base? I, I, what do you think of that? You know, we've discussed this, and um, it just seems to me that everybody thinks first base is so easy. Put your slow guy there. There's a lot to do, especially in the modern game. There's a lot more to do at first base than it, there ever was. I, I mean, there's, a, there's the bunts. There's the cutoffs. There's uh, just defensive alignments and how uh, people think. Remember the, uh, in spring training when the rumor was that David Wright might try to play first base. <laughs> and what what made him think that that would be easier on his back, I don't know. And it's the same thing with the hamstrings. You're constantly moving. What about a stretch? What happens if you have to stretch for the ball? Um, we remember... Uh, you know we're we're a little older, so we remember Harmon Killebrew getting hurt, tearing a hamstring in the All Star game one year yeah, on a stretch. All Star game, that's right. Mm-hmm. I remember that. So and if, and why do it now if if it's a move that might helps his career, which like you said is debatable. Mm-hmm. What well, why do it now? Why not wait till spring training when things might get sorted out? We'll know more about Alonzo and more about Smith, although I'm wondering what the deal is with, with Smith. And that's one player that Gary, Keith, and Ron criticized the way he's being handled more than I have ever heard them do it about any player. And I have to agree, if he's up in the big league sitting on the bench, that that's ridiculous. He's supposed to be a top prospect. Right. Hasn't panned out so far, but if he's not going to play, then, then he should be in Vegas. But then where is he going to play in Vegas? Because Alonzo's down there at first base now and hitting. So uh, it, it's quite a, a, a problem that they've got. They could put him in the outfield down there, but is he a future outfielder or is he a future first baseman? Or is he going to be those got one of those guys that they move from from position to position? Um, you know they tried that with Lucas Duda. You remember, and and that's another guy that uh, you know I was always a big fan of, and I think they wasted a couple of his years by not putting him in first base and letting him play. And when he had the opportunity, he came through big time for them. And Gary, since you mentioned Lucas Duda. Give some kudos to Sandy because that's when he got right, and I was a hundred percent wrong, thinking that Ike Davis was the better player. Although we were talking about the uh, the outfield, and we got a little sidetracked. But since I brought up the name, and I know he's shorter and he doesn't have the beard, but it just seems like the way Michael Conforto is played so far this year. It's like watching Ike Davis 2.0. Yeah. It, it's hard to watch. I mean. Seeing the talent that Conforto has, he's shown he was an all-star last year. But whether it's the injury, the one time a Mets player that was injured comes back earlier, it it blows up in their face. But but you have to consider Conforto a huge question mark right now. Right? Is he ever going to be that star number three hitter that Keith Hernandez talks about all the time? Well, what I. Personally, I think that they have to just let him alone and let him go back to the way he hit that that brought him up to the to the majors and and I think he can come back. I think he can hit, you know. But you, we've seen some signs of it the last few games before the All Star break. He, he did hit a home run. He's been starting to hit the ball more to the left side, and I think that's the key to him. Um, that puts his swing back on track when you see him going the opposite way. And, and hitting, you know, ropes, line drives uh, the other way. Um, if he starts getting into pulling and all of that, that's when he has trouble. And and hopefully we'll see more of that. But, of course, you know, he looks like he's starting to come out of it. And then there's the all-star break, you know. <laughs> so they start to play better baseball, and then there's a break for four days. So who knows what's going to happen when they come back. And you can see it, and I can see it. You would think the hitting coach can see it too, but we see Conforto pull up the ball and get full happy. And it also looks like he's much further away from home plate this year. And you would think the batting coach would see this and you know move him closer to home plate where maybe he actually can reach that outside pitch 
and, and hit it to the opposite mm-hmm. field, which, like you said, is when he's at when he's at his best, hitting line drives to the opposite field. Well, but he just doesn't do it consistently. He may have been getting beaten inside, and that's why they moved him off the plate. But you have to, you know, now he's getting beat on the outside, so you've got to move close. It's, it's, uh, you know, there's an interesting tape on YouTube of uh, Pete Rose, and he, he's talking hitting with uh, Alex Rodriguez when they were, I think they were on Fox together or, or one of, a couple of years ago, and his mm-hmm. philosophy was so simple. It's like unbelievable. He said if he was getting beat inside, he would step back a half inch or an inch. If he was getting beaten on the outside corner, he'd move closer to the plate. Um, because his he felt in the course of a year, you know, these things happen to you. Um, if, if he was having trouble with a fastball, he would take a step back in the plate. If he was having trouble with a curveball, he'd take a step forward in the plate. And as he said, it's just, you know, no matter what people think of Pete Rose, uh, he's probably one of the greatest hitters that have ever played the game. And uh, the philosophy was so simple and made so much sense that you have to scratch your head when you hear these guys watching videotape for hours on end and still can't figure out what they were doing when, you know, it, it's it's a simple process. And... Um, uh, you know, and, and of course, Yogi Berra had the the most logical thing. He said, "See the ball, hit the ball." So, uh, I don't know. It seems that baseball in general nowadays uh, they don't know how to do that. Well, that's true, Gary. It's not just the Mets, and it's not just Conforto, but he has to be a cornerstone player for the Mets to be a good team for the foreseeable future. It's really him and Rosario, and if you want to throw Nemo in there, you can do you can do that too. And like you said, it's a constant game of adjustments and and like again, what you said about P. Rose, no nobody worked harder at the game than, than he did. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. hopefully Conforto will will figure it out probably on his own. Without- because there's only so much a coach can do when you're in the batter's box or on the mound. It's you against the hitter or you against the pitcher. Right. And one out of three times you get a hit, that's that's fantastic, even though you failed two out of three times. And we've seen Conforto win spurts when he came up. He was tremendous. And for most of uh, 2017, he was a wonderful player. This year... Uh, I, I I don't know what what happened, or or it's the injury, but you know that was mid April. The season is or is now uh, in mid July, so he he's pretty much played a whole season. He hasn't figured it out yet. And hopefully, we will. The the Mets must have a productive Michael Conforto to be a good team for the foreseeable future. Without a doubt. And um, they pick up Joey Bats, uh, Jose Batista. Um, I wasn't a great fan of the deal at the time, but it was a money deal. and uh, uh, But he's actually played pretty well for the Mets. Yeah, he's been a nice pickup for them. I, I, I agree. And also, at, at the time, and again, you have to attribute this to the farm system. And one of the reasons it took the Mets so long to put Jay Bruce on the disabled list was because they just didn't have anybody in Vegas that was remotely close to women in ability. So picking up Batista, basically they just had to have an out another outfielder on the major league roster. But it, it has worked. It has worked out so far very very nicely. And one play that we need to talk about because he's been either the best of the second base the second best offensive player on the Mets is the second baseman as Drupal Carrera. He, he's been wonderful this year. Yeah, he's definitely having a terrific season. And um, uh, though he probably will be moved within the next couple of weeks. And uh, let's see Jeff McNeil and let's bring up another guy, throw him in there. You know, this is a conversation that's been going on for the last few years. Let's see Gavin Ciccini. You know, they bring him up, they put him in a couple of games, he starts to hit, they pull him out. 
Um, now, is Kachini hurt? Because that's the name we he, haven't even heard this 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 year. Yeah, I think he's so I think been he got hurt. Up, but yeah, McNeil is tearing it up at AAA. And he did it. So maybe at at July thirty first, he will be the Mets starting second baseman. Um, let's hope. I mean, let's see. The, the kid is 26. He's blossoming this year. And they say a lot of times, 26, 27, sometimes guys are late bloomers and they do blossom late. So, um, but he's definitely having a terrific year and started in double A, uh, got promoted to triple A and has just continued on a torrid pace. So, um, no reason that he shouldn't be up here with this team. They can use his bat, and uh, as you say, if Cabrera goes in the next couple of weeks, hopefully we'll see him and not see Jose Reyes every day. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't really get why Jose Reyes is starting so many games. I mean, know oh, they, uh, they're decimated by injuries, but if the choice is between Jose Reyes at third and Wilmer at first, or Wilmer at third, and Don Smith at first, it's it, it's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Jose Reyes is a great Met, but his, his time is up. Well, unless they're gonna, you know, they want to do the uh, the whole retirement thing at the end of the year, maybe with him and Wright. I I don't know, uh, but uh, maybe cut a deal with him now, let him go, and then bring him back for a game. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm- that, that works for me. That's fine. And since we're talking a little bit about the infield, I just also wanted to weigh in about Cespedes because I don't get it either. Or at the very least, it, it, this is an experiment that could wait till spring training. And then they could work on the nuances of playing first base in spring training. And then we'll seeing a little more of, although I did mention that before, of Alonzo and Smith to see if it, it, it's even worth or trying this out. I don't see the need to do it now. Now, do you think do you think we'll see Cespedes at first? During the regular season yeah. this year? Yeah. Um, you know what? I think we just might. Okay. Um, and the argument for that is if, if it is a position which will mean he has to run less and risk le- and less chance of risking injury, although I you said the stretching and he would be just as, in my opinion, prone to injury for stretching out for balls at first base than he would be yeah. running in the outfield. Uh, maybe this will help uh, prolong his uh, career. Or he's just one of those players that is uh, so tightly wound, he's going to get injured no matter where he plays. So, right. Gary... There's one argument in favor of having the designated hitter in the <laughs> National League. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into that now. Uh, being that you said you, uh, you've uh, heard a, read an article or saw a mention that uh, it's getting closer. Yeah, there seems to be a movement, and it seems to be coming from the Players Association that, to to bring the designated hitter into the National League and have both the AL and the NL play by the same rules. No. what say you? (laughs) I want to go back. I want to go back where we had two separate leagues. We had two separate umpires, two presidents of each league, um, and no interleague play. I, I can't stand it. I can't stand the DH. It's the most insidious thing that they ever created. Uh, I, I know it gets played in every league, but it's really uh, it's really discouraging. When uh, I, I read an article where a, a little league coach said that uh, he said to a kid, uh, "Grab a glove out of the outfit," and the kid says, "I don't have a glove. I hit little league. This is little, that's little league. That's that's ridiculous." But Gary, you know as well as I, you can't you, you can't you can't go back. The genie is out of the bottle. And except for, I, I think, in Double uh, A AA and Triple A, where if it's two National League teams mm-hmm. opposing each other, the pitcher bats, everywhere else, the designated hitter is used. And I've said it for years during my time as your co-host, 
the fact that one league has it and the other league doesn't is ridiculous to me. The fact that in the World Series, either three or four games are with the DH and the other ones are without it, it it's just so silly. And if they're not going to go back to the way it was, why not? why not just have it? And in fact, right now, since the Mets are so offensively challenged, putting in another player to fill that DH spot, even if it would be Cespedes most of the time, probably would work to their disadvantage because the Mets have fewer good offensive players than most any other team. But I, I, I think it's time I that they adopt the DH in the National League. I've always said that just have it the same in either league, have the DH in both or not have it at all. Now let me let me run this by you. Since we've had this discussion before, have the DH in both leagues, but at least add a 26 player to the roster of every major league team. Well, so many teams have players on the disabled list anyway. Maybe make the designated hitter that 26 guy, and you can still have 13-man pitching staff, but have an extra guy on the bench. Well, I'm not crazy about it either, but it, you know, I just don't like the fact that one league uses it and the other league doesn't. Well, my proposition is somewhat similar, but uh, uh, of course it's the complete opposite. But uh, I say increase the roster by two, but get rid of the DH. And it's just it to me, it is a crime. To the, to the memory of all the guys that have played this game, that when uh, uh, Tanaka is playing in a game and runs from first to third or third to home and has two pulled hamstrings, I, I mean, come on. You're supposed to be a baseball player. She should be able to run the bases without getting hurt. And, and the same thing happened with Chin Ming Wong and... That's, I think that's why the Yankees are probably be behind this. I'm going to blame every evil thing on the Yankees. But the Yankees are probably behind this because they lost two pitches in the, in the last 15, 20 years to injuries because uh, for whatever reason, because they had to play in, in an American League city. But come on, you're a baseball player. You should be able to do these things. Don't pitches run anymore that they get on the base path? So... I, I just I'm I'm totally against it. I'm totally against this interleague play, and I'll I'll, I'll go uh, screaming. I'm gonna use my Don Quixote and scream at the windmills <laughs> of the DH <laughs> and go down fighting against it because I think it's an abomination to the game and. And I think it's hurting the game of baseball. I think that's why people are turning away from the game. Um, uh, that and analytics are the two biggest sins against the game of baseball right now, in my mind. Now, Gary, what I hear is that the younger generation of, of baseball fans want to see more runs in the game. And obviously, if the pitcher is in batting and the DH is in both leagues, Logically, more runs are going to be are going to be scored. I understand what you're saying, and then also about strategy, which would pretty much disappear if there's a DH in the National League. But uh, again, and it's used everywhere. Does that mean it's a good idea? Maybe not, but it's in it's it's in it's worked in high school, worked its way to the minors. So why why find it now? One question I have for you, Gary: mm -hmm. How do you really feel about the designated hitter? <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> and then what's next? Are we going to have a designated runner because Cespedes can't run, uh, but he can still hit? And uh, you know, then maybe they'll bring back Big Poppy so he can have a designated runner when he hits the ball. You know, guys might be able to hit till they're 50, but they can't play anything else. So do you bring them back? Uh, you know, let's let's resurrect the corpse of Ted Williams and Mickey Mantle and let them become designated hitters. Um, <laughs> you know what? If the designated hitter was designed to replace the pitcher, then let's bat him ninth. 
Okay, that's not that's okay. He's got to hit ninth, and none of this cleanup or any of this other thing. He's got to hit ninth, and and let's see how how much they would like that. I don't think they'd go for that at all. But that well, that's that's kind of a compromise, which I suppose I can live with. Although on the although I guess it would be Cespedes now. It would be kind of weird to see Cespedes batting batting ninth. I guess you could always put your backup catcher in as a designated hitter and bat that guy nine. Yeah. And the way the Mets offense is now, just about anybody that is on the Mets is probably no more no more worthy of batting in the ninth spot. In fact, the the, the ninth spot in the or the Mets just happened to be a team whose whose pitches hit pretty well. Right. You know, right. All of them. And I wonder if the ninth position in the batting order is doing that much worse this year than the cleanup position is. You've seen the numbers of all the Mets that that have batted fourth. They're they're hideous. It may actually be an advantage for the Mets to put their DH in the in the ninth spot if they if they do adopt that rule in the National League. And you know, um, before you did say about the. Uh that people want offense, the young people. But are we seeing offense? I mean, um, I think the uh, a year or so ago, I remember hearing somewhere that the National League actually outscored the American League. So is if that's the point, case, is that not an argument for doing away with the DH? You know, maybe the DH, maybe the DH has run its course. I know it's throughout every uh, uh, league and everything, but... Maybe it's run its course in the Nash, in in the professional level, the major leagues, and maybe it's time to look at that as well. Instead of concentrate on making the designated hitter in the National League, maybe we should combine. Let's look at both sides of this, and and see whether it is. I mean, I you know the All Star game. It was a pretty good game. I have to admit, it was close and everything, but. It was either they either watched a home run or a strikeout. I mean, nobody hits anymore. Nobody runs the bases. I think what was the score? Eight to six. And I think out of the fourteen runs scored, one run was scored on a sacrifice fly. Right, one the last run the American League scored in the game was a not was not home run related. Right, but, but all that, that's the, a different argument, Gary, about the way baseball is played, the uh, the true outcomes, you know, the strikeout, the walk, or the home run. But I think that's a discussion that is is different from from whether or not there should be a designated hitter. That that's just the way the game is played now. And as far as the sabermetrics, this over analysis, I couldn't agree with you more on, on that. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, it's this embrace of all these analytics. You know what Davey Johnson says? Uh, and he was one of the, you could call him the grandfather or the father of that analytics because he was one of the That's first right. guys to have a mm-hmm. computer and to follow all of these things. And he says that there's too much garbage that they're putting in these, you know, in the computer industry, garbage in is garbage out. He says there's too much now. He says it's just too much crap, this launch angle and these velocity and all of this crapola uh, is not is not good for the game, and it's just too much stuff and – and you know maybe television's to blame because they want to they want to have all of these things that they can pop up on the screen. I'm watching a game on ESPN, and you know I'm saying where the hell's the batter because they're popping up this box and then they're popping up this velocity and this launch angle and this that and the other thing. And pretty soon you're looking at nothing but you know of text on the screen. And you know where the hell is the ball game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know it's it's it, it, they've gone a little they've gotten a little carried away with these sabermetrics and the statistics that we all thought were the, the important ones are kind of dismissed now. Like on base percentage is more important than batting average. Not that it isn't important because the the idea of a a hitter is to get on base, but 
you, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. You know, these launch angles, these exit velocities, batted balls in play, what's the average. It, 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 it probably has a purpose, but to just saturate the, the fans with this, it, it, it takes time to get used to. And my attention span isn't what it used to be, and yours <laughs> probably isn't either. Yeah. I, mean, I like seeing the batting sure. average, home runs, runs batted in. That's still what, if you lead the league in those three categories, wins you the triple crown. Right, right. And well, you brought up Ted Williams before, and I think his, his was it the what? What do you what do you call that? Where they they froze they froze his body? Yes, uh, cryogenic. Yeah, yeah. His head his head must be spinning <laughs> with all these statistics. And they say that's the only thing they froze. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somewhere the eye test has to count for something. I what was I? I can't remember where I read this, but um, two guys were arguing about this, and um, it was something ridiculous. Like Lou Whitaker was, was statistically was a better ball player than I, I. Who was it now? Derek Jeter or somebody? I mean. I, it was just a ridiculous combination that you know uh, that you shake your head at and say, well, "Well, who would you want up in a tough game? Do you want Jeter up or do you want Whitaker up?" And uh, you know, me, I want Jeter up. I'm sorry, um, I, it's just crazy, and and they just uh, perpetuate this thing, and and. I, you know, it's cyclical, though. Somebody's going to come back, and somebody's going to be, um, you know, even A.J. Hinch, who's a, a big analytical guy with the Astros, said he had to use his gut by leaving Charlie Morton in last year and it won him the World Series. Um, mm-hmm, I remember that. And, and Theo Epstein said that, uh, you know, he was a big analytics guy. He still is, but that he realized that chemistry meant a lot. Uh when the Cubs won a couple of years ago because they had that in that rain delay they had that that team meeting and and uh they they went out and won the series then um and that really changed his mind a little bit because everybody says oh no chemistry just get these guys you know but he saw something different and we always say that um when we talk about it that you know you can't measure analytically you can't measure heart you can't, and clutchness and uh, I don't care if a guy doesn't do it all the time that one time he's got to do it it's not going to show up in the stats over the long run but it, it, all he's got to do it is one time to win a world championship and um, they can't measure that and until they can figure out a way it's you know and now, now we've got these defensive things and uh, come on uh, you know uh, it's just it's too much or at least come to some, some to some kind of compromise, some happy medium. The sabermetrics do have some place in the game, and yeah, as far as the the, the way they the, the way they defend with the shift, it, it's it's ridiculous. But you, you can't really logically outlaw shifts. I, I mean, if the statistics say that a guy hits fifty percent of his ground balls to second base, you you can. You could station seven fielders at second base within a foot of each other. There's no way to stop that, as silly as that sounds. But, you know, the idea is to give your team the the best possible chance to win. And if that's what they tell you how to do it, that's what what you should do. And I think as far as that, it's up to the the players and and along with the coaches to – find ways to uh, to just change their approach. If the left side of the infield is open, a left-hand batter should be trying to learn how to hit the opposite way if they haven't learned that already, or bunt. I, I could, if, that's, if, that, if that's still taught in the big league. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. But the, the, the thing is, I think you're going to – See, this is where the contradiction comes in uh, because they want more offense. Major League Baseball wants more offense, but then 
now now they've got a problem because now managers are going to do go with the analytics. It's it's almost like where what they want the game to be and analytics are crashing head to head now. Um, everybody thought it was going to be great having all these analytics. Things are going to fall into place, and, but we don't have robots playing. So you have to actually play the game. And, and now they're seeing that these things are crashing into one another because uh, it's it's not the same game we saw when when guys are hitting ground balls into the shift all the time. So now mm-hmm. now do they legislate? I guess they could. Why you know they could say a shortstop can't go beyond second base and, and uh, you know you have to stay on the left side of the infield you can shift but you you can't cross over second base and and you know um bring in the right fielder then if you want to have a third infielder there um okay let me take it a task on that gary because before you were talking about the dh and that pitchers should be athletes they should be able to hit and run the bases which i agree with you on and you and you put part of the blame on the Yankees, and I have no issue with that either. But let's also throw the another favorite team of ours, the Cardinals, into the mix as well. Because didn't Adam Wainwright get hurt swinging the bat earlier this year? Was it last year? So, and he's one of the best hitting pitchers in the game. But well, anyway, getting back to the shifts and the, isn't it up to the the players and and the coaches and manager to teach them or the players to learn for themselves how to to defeat this. And I had kind of thought, if you remember, I'm sure you do, the 2015 Kansas City Royals, they didn't have any real power hitters on their team, but they they, they played fundamentally sound baseball. They they won the World Series. Yeah, they hit the ball all over the park. And, mm-hmm. and and the Astros did too. I mean, they have you know they had some superstars last year, but I mean they still do. But you know Altuve is, is a three twenty seven hitter, three thirty hit. He's hitting the ball all over the park. He hits his home runs. Um, uh, as far as, let, let me just go back to the Wainwright thing. Um, yes, he did get hurt, but he's also one. He is very anti DH. So uh, mm-hmm. that that's that. Um, as far as the players learning to go the other way, they are. There was an article the other day where some of them are complaining and saying, "Oh yeah, the fans just say hit it the other way." He goes, "It's not hit. It's not easy to hit it the other way when the ball's coming at you at ninety eight miles an hour." Well, yeah, uh, Daniel Murphy was one of those guys that said that. Uh, well, Ooh. you know what? Then step a half inch and be a second behind on your 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 swing. And that ball's going to automatically go the other way because you're going to be behind it anyway. You're not going to be able to pull it. So, uh, I mean, there are ways, you know, don't don't uh, make the adjustment. There's got to be adjustment ways to do, um, you know, uh, uh, players have done it for 150 years, learned how to make adjustments in this game. And it just seems like these guys don't want to do that. Now, we saw Tony Gwynn. He got... 3,000 hits, and probably half of them were, were to the opposite field. I think they used to call him 5.5 because he would find that hole between the uh, third baseman and the shortstop, and he would just hit the ball that way, and he ended up in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the greatest hitters in the history of baseball. Exactly. You think they would shift on a guy like Tony Gwynn? I mean, yeah. all it takes is the players to just make adjustments and maybe this ridiculous shifting and these other things will come to an end or at least lessen. It's about adjustments. I thought maybe the Royals winning the World Series would kind of change it back the other way, but so far it hasn't. Right, right. Well, I guess we could go on all night arguing this or discussing this. I should say it's not we're not really arguing about it, but because yeah, we fundamentally <laughs> agree. Although I. I still want to see the. I still want to see both leagues play by the same rules. Yes, and since me I know too. they're going to go back to having the pitchers in the American <laughs> League, I, I, I just it's like a surrender. Just let the NL have the DH, and let's let's move on for once and for all. I just because I, uh, uh, my fear though, if you do that, then that brings it into the whole 
reorganization, and then you're going to have no more National League, no more American League. You're going to have like the football, you know, league, and we're going to have the Yankees and the Mets in the same conference, and it's just not going to be the same, you know, because he's a Manfred's already. Taught, by the way, Manfred, I think is probably one of the worst commissioners they've ever had. Um, he, he's he's doing some whacked out things that that I don't like at all. Um, the minor leagues with this stupid putting a guy on second base in the extra inning games, um, and unfortunately, people like it because they don't have to hang around as long. They don't want to stay right. for any ridiculous rule, but as long as it never hits the light of day in the major league, I don't. I don't have a real problem with it because I guess that comes to player development, and you don't. Want, and more, more than anything, pitcher development because you don't want to burn out a 19-year-old in the minor leagues and make him have to pitch in a 20-inning game. And in fact, it's funny you mentioned that game because the other day we were just looking up that remember that 30 either 32 or 33 inning game that they played during the players strike mm-hmm. I think it was between uh Portucket and whatever the Orioles farm team was right because it was a game that Cal Ripken and Wade Boggs played in mm-hmm. and it either went 32 or 33 innings. it's the longest game in professional history yeah and they played the end of it that a rule like that would be put in place to prevent something like that because I'm sure there were a few pitchers that had to pitch uh, multiple innings in that game and you never know that could ruin a pitcher's career and that's another issue for for another time is the way <laughs> the way pitching is these days you know with all the you know because now they throw a hundred miles an hour and with all this with all the surgeries and it's, it's kind of to protect the players and the managers from themselves. So what? in the minor leagues, I have no problem with that at all. In the major leagues, that that would that would be insane. But I don't, I don't I don't think that anything that would happen in the major leagues. I I certainly I certainly hope not. Well, and as far as the realignment, that's another show for another time. Because <laughs> to be honest with you, Gary, I wouldn't totally dismiss the idea of total realignment in the major leagues as, as much as anything because it's a long season. It was less than the amount of travel. And I, I really think you could do it. Of course, it would mean the end of the American and the National League as we know it. But I, I, I see a path where you actually could realign baseball and maybe it would be although the, the tradition would go by the wayside as good and maybe even a better game than it is now. But, again, that's another podcast for another time. Well, it, it just to uh, touch on what you were talking about, the pitching, I, I happened to do an interview for another podcast that I do, the Baseball Talk Radio Show, Cheap Plug, uh, and I interviewed an author of a book uh, today uh <laughs> that he wrote about Warren Spahn. And, uh, you know, he took part in one of the greatest games that was ever played. Some people call it the greatest games ever played. And it was a 16-inning game between the Giants and the uh, 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 Milwaukee Braves at the time. Spahn and Marichal. Spahn and Marichal. Marichal threw 16 innings of shutout ball, 227 pitches, Spawned through 16 innings of shutout. Well, he gave up a run in the bottom of the 16th, so I guess he pitched 15 and whatever. Willie Mays hit a walk-off home run. It was a walk-off home run by Willie Mays. Spawned through 201 pitch, and it was that 201st pitch that hit him in. But we will never see that. And these guys were uh, in are in the Hall of Fame and pitched a tremendous amount of innings and. These pitchers now, they baby him so much, and I think that's where the injuries are coming in. I, I don't know what else you can say um, about it, but it just seems that these old guys threw and threw and threw and didn't have a lot of the problems that these guys did today. But that's another argument for another day. Yeah, another, another discussion for another time. And I guess the Braves manager didn't get the memo from Warren Spahn that after 200 pitches, I'm toast. 
<laughs> and by the way, he was, I think, 42 years old at the time. So uh, pretty unbelievable. You know, uh, even Bartolo Colon, the Angels won, the only goes five innings. <laughs> and if you would start the discussion about the designated hitter with Bartolo Colon and his majestic home run, you might have convinced me otherwise. <laughs> Yeah, how much fun was that? I mean, come on, you'd never see that again, um, and and uh, you never see the natural break in the, the lineup. You know, you're at the game. You know, okay, the pitch is coming, I can run to the bathroom. No, now you can't if there's a designated hitter. So, you know, you're gonna have a lot of problems, or you're gonna miss games. So, that, okay, that's yeah. <laughs> here's my answer. In the games, Bartolo Colon pitches. He, he, he has to bat. Otherwise, <laughs> you keep the DA. Even when he's... Have the, the, Go ahead. <laughs> no, nah, that, that's it. <laughs> Even when he strikes out, it was hilarious and a lot of fun. We'll, we'll wait till he retires and then adopt the DA. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, Barry, it was great uh, having you on this evening. And uh, thanks so much for coming on. And as I said, we could probably talk all night, but... Uh, I you know I don't know whether the live audience even left us by now. <laughs> I may may have lost us at war when we went to Warren's Barn as two hundred pitches, but hopefully they stayed with us the whole time. I know I'm still I'm still here. Hey, that's still right, jabbering away, and I, I had a great time. And hope we will get to do this again sooner rather than later. This was great. Yes. I enjoyed it, Gary. Thank you for bringing me back we we shall do it again and uh thanks for coming on and uh that's i'm gonna wrap it up for this week's show so uh until next week remember uh to uh, keep the faith stay optimistic and let's go man all right have a great week everybody see you next time Bye.